0: From recruiting and consulting firm, Ryderflex, I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your Ryderflex episode of the day. And on today's episode of the Rider Flex podcast, we have Mark Gutman, the founder and chief storyteller of Wild Story based in Colorado. Mark, how are you doing today?
1: Great, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and uh, really to confer to our conversation. You know, I've done a lot of these interviews
0: on the Writerflex flex podcast already and I've been interviewing people my whole life. I'm 52. So almost 30 years of interviewing. But when I was preparing for yours, I, I got to tell you, I got, I got a little nervous cause I'm like, okay, I'm interviewing the master storyteller. Like I'm interviewing a guy who does this stuff for a living, tells stories. And, and as I was preparing, I thought, man, I, I hope I'm good enough for Mark.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot, that's a lot of pressure, but uh, you know, I really think that I'm no different than everyone else where, we have the ability to interview others we have the ability to look at others and really boil down their story but it's really hard to talk about ourselves and it's really hard right. to talk about our own story so I'm, I'm no different uh, and and I you know we can make, we might get to it in a little bit but uh, last year I challenged myself by um, uh, performing some stand-up comedy in New York City oh, and cool. that was a really that was a really big challenge because I don't like to talk about myself I don't like to be on stage I like to be behind uh, the camera and. Right. So, uh, just, just like most people, uh, it's easy to interview others, but hard to talk about myself, but I am excited to share my story today.
0: So if you're like, if you're like me, if you're in like a, at a dinner party, let's say you walk up to, you've been introduced to somebody there's, there's that first two minutes where you're trying to talk or whatever. I always push it to them, right? Like I, I'll always, I'll immediately try to get them to talk about themselves because
1: I don't want to talk about me. A hundred percent always. Yeah. I, I want to know more about you than I want to tell you about me. And I think yes. like, you know, there's some people that in, inherently think that they're interesting, uh, but I, I don't, you know, I don't think like what I do is interesting until other people reflect back to me that, that they think it is. So, and I, and I think that's a pretty common trait. Do you, do we also
0: have this in common? I'll be with my wife at a social gathering. And because I was a long term executive and just, like I said, interviewed people my whole life, she'll start elbowing me. She'll, she'll, she'll kind of whisper in my ear, she'll like, stop interviewing people. She's like, you've asked them 15 questions in a row. We
1: please stop. <laughs> we, we do share that trait. And I also like to dig, you know, and not in the, uh, not for a, a reason to be sensational or to scratch the right. itch, no. but I, I, I like, you know, yeah, you know, I'm kind of at a point in my life where like I, I superficial conversation isn't as interesting to me anymore. So right? I, I want, I really want to get to know people and try to get to know people quickly. And, uh, yeah, but my wife does the same thing. She's like, you shouldn't ask that. <laughs> well, and that she, us- doesn't, she doesn't sound like that, by the way. Sorry about that, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: tell us. So tell us about Mark before we get into wild story, you know, give us some early history, right? Where you grew up, stuff about your family, things like that
1: yeah so I grew up in uh suburban suburban detroit in a, a little town called troy and you know I, I like to say like nothing really ever happened it was a really good upbringing you know it was a pretty uh suburban uh you know we could talk about this later too but um teenage sex comedy kind of upbringing right like, right. right that that was like what like what what my experience was and and uh from a very early age um you know I, I always had this interest in movies and I have this really distinct memory uh, that when I was about nine years old, I, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my dad in, in Detroit and uh, I, I looked at him and I was like, dad, do you, do you love your job? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, 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 I, I love my job. And I was like, but, even as a nine-year-old, I was pretty perceptive, you know? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, do you love your job? And, and he said something Ooh. to the effect of, Mark, you know, if, if you were to love your job, they would call it work. You know, if it was supposed to be fun, they Mm. wouldn't call it work. Mm. From that moment on, I was on this quest to really love what I do. Great. Uh, And that, and that really shaped me, you know, and, and so what did did he do by the way? uh, He was an attorney. Okay. All right. yeah. All right yeah. you know, but like kind you know he he was an attorney he worked at uh you know for different law firms and things like that okay um, and interestingly enough, he had had his own practice, he had opened up a a, a bike shop, he had had all these like kind oh. of- entre- entrepreneurial oh. ventures all right he always reflected back to me how terrible being an entrepreneur was. So like he didn't model that it was great. He, you know, the things that I remember were were that he would tell me that, you know, everyone got paid first before him and that it just, he didn't have a good experience. So I find it very interesting that I ended up as an entrepreneur because it wasn't like I had this model that was like the shining light. It was actually the the opposite. And so Mm -hmm. Interesting. But, you know, something really positive I did get from my father is we really shared this love of movies. That's how okay. we really connected. It's really how I saw the world. Uh, as I mentioned, nothing really ever happened in suburban Detroit. So, like, I learned everything I know from TV and movies. You know, like, my parents <laughs> never sat me down and had that conversation about the birds and the bees. I learned that from the movies. Like, I didn't, right or wrongly, I didn't really learn about how to, like, have interpersonal relationships. I learned that from the movies, you know, like, um, and I was just always really, really fascinated with that. And so, um, and you, you grew know. up in the, and you grew up in the eighties Would you late eighties in high school, graduated in 90,
0: 91, something like
1: that. Exactly. Yep. 91. Okay. So, right. uh, right. you know, coming out of that, uh, I thought all my friends, I went to the university of Michigan. All my friends were, uh, getting, you know, applying for jobs, either Goldman Sachs or going on to be professionals. And that was what my parents had, I think, really hoped for me. That was supposed to be my path was to um, go get a job and, and be stable because that's, that's what they knew. And well, now how did you decide to major in English? Literature, mm-hmm. literature had to, had, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, great question. Great question. So when I uh, high school was was kind of an easy uh, route for me, and and I don't recommend that for other people because it, it didn't set me up well for for college, and and I didn't know because you know I had this upbringing um, what I thought I was supposed to do versus what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I set my uh, intention as my major uh, for for economics at the University of Michigan. Well, oh, really? You start okay. All right. Yep in economics. And, and I had had an economics class, I believe it was like an AP level class in high school. And I did really well. So, okay. I, I decided that, well, I guess if I'm supposed to be a professional, I'll do economics. And because I had done so well in high school, I had also determined that I didn't need to go to econ 101 at the university of Michigan. And bad idea, bad, bad idea. <laughs> no surprise. That was my first F af- <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and my parents sat me down and they really wanted to, you know, how did this happen you know like how did you, you fail this class and after giving the standard answers that a, a a kid gives their parents about blah 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 i mean the real answer that i that i kind of came i wasn't really passionate about it you know i was really following this thing that i thought other people wanted me to follow mm. and so i i went on a bit of a journey at, at university and it was this amazing time where i got to do everything and try everything the university had to offer. I tried sculpture class. Um, that was this incredible experience. I was a terrible sculptor, but I loved it. And it was really hard. We had to do our, uh, a realistic, uh, bust of ourselves. And you got graded with the professor came around with calipers and put it on your nose and your head. And that's how you got graded, right? Like it was, just, okay. it was really, but I was terrible, and, but I loved it. And, um, and, and then I, I got, you know, I always had liked English. I just didn't think you could do anything with that degree. And, okay. um, so I, as I was reading, I, I, I read The Fountainhead for the first time. I was super enamored, not by the politics of the book and the ideologies, but like this idea of being an architect seemed amazing and creating cities. And so I decided I want to be an architect. But I showed up at the architecture school and they're like, well, have you taken math and physics? And I was like, oh, no, I haven't. I haven't done that. And I don't want to do that. And, and, and then I also, you know, found and I got, you know, and, and I didn't think that film was this thing that I could actually do but I fell into it at, at university in, in, you know, met a professor and I started making movies and we had like 16 millimeter, you know, movies We're cutting on film. Okay. So you you were in the, what, what was it called? Was it called drama or film classes or what, what was it called? It was, it was, they had a film department, a film the, department. Yeah, okay, And, and it was right. actually not acting, but more like, you know, the, the filmmaking. So they had screenwriting okay, cool. classes that you would go off and you would actually make films. And Great. Uh, there was a little bit of a history from famous people in the film industry at, at Michigan. And that uh-huh. professor at one point you know, sat me down and he just looked at me and he was like, Hey, I think you can do this. That was it. Cool.
0: That was it. That was a
1: major turning point for you right there. Okay. Gave me me the permission. I, I needed to hear that. My, my, my parents certainly weren't saying that. And I don't think, um, out of anything negative. I think they just wanted, you know, me to have a more stable and traditional career, uh, yep. but that's all I needed to hear. And from that point on, I, I had dedicated myself to um, my English degree. I also had a, a, I'm a, I'm a few credit hours shy of a cultural anthropology double major. Okay. And and I can see how that and reflecting back really plays into my interest of different people and getting to understand cultures and really meeting people in an empathetic way, you know, mm-hmm. where they're at. Um, and I, Left left college, uh, I think, with about a thousand bucks in my pocket and a an old Oldsmobile, and uh, drove to L.A. Are you serious? Now, I want to just pause right there. Now, no. now,
0: are you at home? Are you now? You were were you living at home still in school, or you'd already
1: moved out with some friends by the time you graduated? Uh, well. I guess technically I was living at home. I mean, okay. I did school when I went to college, but I, I, you know, when I was in between places, I was, I was, so you out. go home, so you go home, I can
0: almost visualize it. You're sitting there at the dining room table with, with and, and now the Oldsmobile is probably a car they helped you, helped you with, or that was your first vehicle or something. And you're like, Hey, uh, I'm going to like take the thousand bucks I saved up and drive the car, which is not super dependable out to California and
1: find a job. <laughs> 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 your yep. dad was like, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, you know, my film professor had written on a piece of paper, a bunch of names uh, at the top was this, you know, names I recognized. I think like Lawrence Kasdan, there were a couple agents. Okay. Uh, nobody returned my phone calls. I was going to say, I was going to say, did you have meetings set up with these people? No, no. And did, and did you have a place this- to live? Uh, I did. I I was, I was going to stay for about a month with my college roommate's mother who had a place in in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, And then I was going to be on my own. All right. So you get out there, you get out there, I get out there, you know, and this has been a philosophy of mine uh, that has repeated itself throughout my life is just get in the middle of where I want to be and then figure it out. I'm so glad you said that. Can we take a pause right there? I just did another interview recently.
0: Um, the One of the founders from Human Design, John Weiss, I'm sure he won't mind us mentioning him on this podcast because he was on the Rider Flex podcast. And he said that very something very similar. He said, I want to encourage people. He said, get to where you want to be and then figure out the rest. Because where you want to be and where you want to live is so critical and will, will shape so many of the things. And he just talked about that how people are like, "Well, someday I want to be here." And he was like, "Screw that, just go to where you want to be and then, and then you know figure it out. so that's great. I'm glad you did that.
1: yeah, and it's an, you know l a is an industry, industry town, and I started asking around and and all these things. and one day I got a phone call at the house of, uh, that I was staying at, and it was the last person on that list, uh, a good friend of mine to this day, his name's Patrick. He called me and he said, "Hey, man, I've been trying to call you." Uh, for like a week, but your phone is always busy. <laughs> and, and, and then the funniest side was that my friend's mother didn't have a call waiting and was on the phone all day. And, oh, uh, bummer. Wow. Right. So I was like, all right, I'll take whatever it is. I don't care what it is. I'll take the job. And so I drive out to Van Nuys with the address that they gave me. And if you've ever been to Van Nuys, I'm looking around. I'm like, this does not look like Hollywood. <laughs> it's in the valley. It's all, um, you know, it's all uh, warehouses. All right. You know, but I go into this nondescript warehouse and there's like, at that point, and probably to this day, the the most security I've ever seen. There's like, they're like, oh, really? they're checking me out. They're like giving me badges and they start walking me through all these security uh, doors. And all of a sudden I get into this warehouse and there's like all these like sculptures and robots and like eyeballs hanging out and like people <laughs> welding things and signage. And it looks like the land of misfit toys. Wow. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is amazing. Um, and it turned out to be a... Nondescript location for Disney's Imagineering, where they. Oh, really? Yeah. They build all the theme park rides, where they do all these really cool things. They walked me back into a theater, and it was this private theater that was like a theater in the round. And it turned out that uh, the job was I was just driving film around for uh, Disney, but it was three panel, 70 millimeter, which, if you're a film nerd, is really, really cool. Okay. Uh, That's how they got that effect. And I sit down for lunch for the first day, and they, you know, um, kind of there's like 12 of us and, I, and I'm literally sitting next to Ellen DeGeneres because she's the the talent and I'm like okay I'm in Hollywood right like I'm wow wow and are you like hey uh, Ellen hi I'm I'm Mark I'm from no, Michigan i was <laughs> sitting there and I said hi and we didn't really talk much and the cool uh, thing about Ellen wasn't that I got to meet her it was literally that I got to park next to her on the Disney lot so that's cool. yeah because Because it was like movie star, movie star spot, Ellen, and then delivery driver. Because I had, if you know anything about 70 millimeter film, it is huge. It's 70 millimeters. So they had to to give you a a parking spot up close. Okay. Yeah. And I had to carry these giant cans between editorial, uh, different things on the studio, Technicolor, Deluxe. And at that, there was a lot of downtime. Like the orders were never ready. Um, You know, they were always like, Mm. come back, we're behind. Mm. And so I would take that opportunity. I'm on the lot. And I would literally walk up and down um, the oh, aisles for sure. for of, sure. I would of the bungalows, and yes. I'd be like popping my head in. I'd be like, yes. "Hey, Mark," and, mm-hmm, and, yeah. and making friends. And you know, th- that was another big lesson I learned was just this like wonder of the world, having a you know a sense of wonder, and also having a sense of naivete. Like I think that like as we get older, you know, we might be like, Oh, I can't do that. I would be like interrupting them. Like, like I I wouldn't Maybe even today I might not like walk up and down and just pop my head in someone's office and be like, Hey, I'm Mark. Like, you know, (laughs) I I, I just probably wouldn't do it. And so one of the producers there took a, took a liking to me and I would then pop in and sit down. His name is John told him what I wanted to do. I really wanted to write and get more into making movies. So, so, so you wanted to write, that's what you wanted to do. I, that's what I want to do. And that's what I had yep. declared. And I said, and write direct. I wanted to be a filmmaker. I mean, those were the people that I, those were my heroes, right? Like that's who I had admired.
0: So, so not Dick just Trentino. write, you sc- know, not just write screenplays, but you wanted to
1: direct at some point too, at that yeah. time. Okay. I wanted to be a filmmaker. Right. Okay. There was no question. All right. And, um, he slid in a very Hollywood moment, a post-it note across the desk and said, like, call this guy. And uh, I called them and I showed up for an interview and it turned out to be uh, Oliver Stone's production company. Wow. So I went and I interviewed for this job called story editor. I didn't know what it was. And like most young people and, you know, I was just like, I will do it. I will figure it out. I don't know what it is, but this is incredible. Yeah. Story editor. What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Yeah, So a story editor effectively runs the story department and um, the story department, uh, we, we, you know, if you have a production company, you're producing all sorts of things, not just stuff that Oliver was directly involved in, although he would have like a whole uh, card of different projects. He was just even looking at and toying with and developing and playing with and, figuring out what his next project was going to be, but he was also producing movies. So we had, you know, 30 different movies in development. We were always taking submissions in. Wow. Uh, At at that time, um, you know, working with the agencies, there'd be like, Hey, like it was always really exciting when they'd call you up and be like, Hey, we have a hot new script. We're going out with it on this day. It's coming in. I would have to come in. I would have to make sure everyone got a copy. We would then uh, meet and, and say, Hey, we like this. We don't. Um, that sort of thing. And it was, it was interesting. It was, are you, are
0: you you making decent money at this time? Now you got your own apartment. I'm making just enough, just enough, just enough. All right. Just enough. Like, like I'm,
1: you know, they're, they're paying me in bonuses by like, giving me movie tickets and sending me to <laughs> premieres and like, like a lot of those kind of benefits, but okay. like all not, right. a lot of, not a lot of cash, right? You're hanging in there. You're still driving the Oldsmobile. So, oh, I'm driving the Oldsmobile. And, and the thing was on its last legs, right? Cause I had been driving it for film and, and okay. driving. All right. It I, just wanted, I just wanted I just wanted to kind of get it. All right, cool. No, 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 this is not, it's glamorous in, um, in what it looks like from afar, but I mean, I'm not making any money, but I, I didn't care. And I'm getting, I'm getting screamed at. I'm like, you know, I'm getting yelled at, like, I'm just hoping that I'm not going to get fired and, one day I get called into the, like the bullpen area and there's like about like 11 people all standing around and they looking kind of stern and I'm like, this is it. Like, this is the end of my Hollywood career. <laughs> and, uh, and, and what, but you know, they kind of flipped it and they handed me this LL bean tote bag and I'm actually looking at it across my office right now that says illusion on it. Uh, that was the name of the production company at the time. And, you My to... face just lit up because, and this is literally, I'm looking at it right now. This is like probably the business achievement I'm most proud of to this day. Cause what that meant was like, Hey, you're part of the team. Oh, uh, you're one of us. That bag was so I could carry because all the cool executives carried those bags full of scripts. Cause they're so heavy, right? Like each scripts about 110 pages, 120 pages. Okay, And you've got like 10 of them at any given time, plus all your stuff. I see. And, and I was like, I was so part of the club. You're like, I'm in the circle of trust now. So, so happy that like they gave me this thing so I could take 20 scripts back and forth to my apartment, spend all weekend reading scripts like every week. Like it didn't matter. I was just, I was so excited. And that was like this kind of big moment in my career that really signified I would belong. And it's like a trophy. I'm looking at it right now. That's cool. No, very cool. Very cool. Very cool. All
0: right, and then it, but then at some point it, you didn't stay in, in in Hollywood. At some point you, could, I don't know how many how many years were you there before you thought, ah, eh, I'm going to do something else. About seven.
1: So I okay. went on. I worked on with another uh, really cool writing producing team. A guy named Mark Hyman. Another guy named Zach Penn. Zach, you might recognize his name. He's written Ready Player One. He did a bunch of the X Men movies. So super cool, super cool. But you know, that was my dream. That was my dream to go to Hollywood. And this is an idea that I'm actually exploring like, like even a little further, like what do we do when, when, when our dreams change, right? Mm. Like, and, mm. and like, how do we, we pivot? And mm. I realized that also part of my dream was um having a, a full life outside of work. And, and I really wasn't doing that. I was doing nothing but working. I was okay. head down. I was taking myself so seriously. I mean, it was, you know, I was committed to this, um, this idea of growing my career. But I had this moment where I was like, what What am I doing with my life? I'm, I'm not really doing the things that make me happy. And well, you weren't doing anything but working. It doesn't sound like we're talking 70 hours, 70 hours a week type of deal, no social life, no hobbies. Yeah, totally. And, and also like, you know, at that time, um, another really well-known movie came out by a classmate of mine called American pie. And I was so frustrated. I was so like, how, like, how can this guy write this like teenage sex comedy about these kids that abuse a pie? And he's like all doing so well. And here I am trying to like, Ah. do these Oliver Stone type movies. And what I realized was I should have been writing that movie, right? Like I should have been writing American pie because that was my experience and how important it is to lean into our own story. I hadn't really done a whole lot. You know, I got out of college, I'd been in the movie business, but it was pretty insular. I mean, I wasn't like Oliver Stone. I didn't go to Vietnam. I didn't live in this era of social unrest. I I lived in this kind of teenage sex comedy, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, existence. And, and, And so, you know, that was another thing that I now looking back have learned that how important it is just to lean into your own story and how important that is and, and how much value it has. I mean, you look at that story he wrote, that was his experience in high school. I mean, it's touched a lot of people. It's made a great career for him. Like, I mean, yeah. there's a ton of value there, both you know, uh, intrinsic and actual uh, monetary. So, I realized that, and and I knew what made me happy were simple things. We're getting outside. It was connecting with people. It was um, you know, hanging out with others. And so, I came to to Boulder to kind of take a break. And now, it, how did uh, how did you pick
0: that? Can I just pause you right there? Yeah. You're, in, you're in Hollywood or Los Angeles, and you said I want to I need to find myself a little bit. Um, how did you pick Boulder, Colorado, to do
1: that? Yeah, I had I had long had a, a connection to the outdoors. I'd always loved getting outside. I actually worked at a, a kind of a, a famous outdoor retailer in in Ann Arbor called Wilderness Outfitters. So I was okay. like around. You know, like I just loved I loved gear. You know, I loved touching critter uh, and like putting hiking. You know, getting people okay. into hiking boots right. and camping stuff. And and um and I and uh, so I I'd always had this thing. My parents, you know, we travel. Every, every summer, uh, you know, a couple weeks out of the summer with our travel trailer and Colorado was this thing that I always loved. But my wife and I, we went, we looked, we looked on a little tour. We went to, um, San Francisco and I just kind of wanted to get out of the city. Uh, okay. we looked at Portland. I loved Portland, but I was just so nervous about the rain. And I had a couple friends from college that lived here. And I remember the day we were on this exploratory trip. I was out at Copper Mountain. We we're at the T-Rex bar. Uh, it was, it was a beautiful, sunny day. Uh, we were snowboarding and having a beer. And and I looked at my friends and I said, see, so this is like just what you guys do on the weekend. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, it like blew my mind that like, <laughs> like, that, like this didn't have to be this thing that I like uh, waited for, you know, for like one week a year that this, I could integrate the things that I love to do into my life and why not? Right. Yep. And, um, uh, something I love to ask and it's really core to our process and our business is just this, this easy question of what if, um, yep. you know, what if, like what if we lived here? Like what would that if look like? Here. And so
0: now, uh, now was we, your, was it, you had met, sorry. So you had gotten married before you left California.
1: Uh, just before, just before. And did your wife, what, what does she do? Uh, she, she, she She's a painter. So she was, she had finished up a graduate program at the art center uh, of design in Pasadena and that was also a good breaking point for us to i see believe. i see that, so that was you, kind of holding us there for a oh,
0: little bit oh okay all right so so you and her together you
1: guys were both ready ready to go somewhere else we were, we were, you know, and she's from the Midwest too. And, you know, okay. we weren't ready to go all the way back, but like coming this, coming this way seemed like cool. a good, a good thing. And, you know, it was, it was so different, you know, it was like living in California, like things from the time change to the weather. Like I missed, I missed having mm-hmm. uh, seasons and things like that. And so.
0: then you moved and then you moved to Colorado, which is a wonderful place. Best, oh. best state in the country
1: best state in the country you know and the thing that i love about it is like everyone loves living here everybody I, does i grew, I, I, I grew up in, i grew up in an area where like everyone talks about how they want to leave in detroit you know like I, know. I love detroit and i love being from there and but like everyone talks about like all they want to do is leave and so again living yeah, in a you, place that you love like in 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 building a life around that I, I, I think that's more important than, than like we, living in a place that supports your, th- th- like going to the career town or whatever. Right? It really
0: is. It really is. That's a great point. It really is. And for the listeners, I know people that listen to the Riderflex flex podcast. are like, Oh God, he's always talking about how great Colorado is. Well, I, I hate to
1: tell you, but it is. <laughs> well, we, it is. And, and, and part of it's, you know, the obvious, the, the natural resources uh, that we have like the snow and the mountains and the sun and that's great, you know, but really when you have all these people that want to live here, that energy is so infectious and that can do attitude. Like no one, like if I came to you and said, Hey, I want to start a business. I want to do this thing. You're going to like, most likely be like, great, cool. How can I help you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Out on the, you know, I've, I've worked for companies out on the East coast and they'd be like, Oh, that's not going to work. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah, or like they're trying to like figure out every every reason why it's it's not going to work. And so for me, that can do attitude is so powerful, and it and it buoys me, it lifts me up. And that's kind of a good segue into to my story. So it I is, came yep. here, yep. and I was I was writing Saturday morning cartoons for Warner Brothers on a show called uh, a, a, a okay. cartoon version of Osmosis Jones. Okay, so that's how you were paying the bills. They were letting you work remotely. Yeah. Well, but cool. yeah, but, but I knew also like. You know, what I had found and it had always been my dream to establish my career and go somewhere like kind of cool and and in um, and, and, and work remotely. But that wasn't at that time really common. Like you had to be in town That's chasing true. your next job and or okay. working in a writer room. So I knew but that by leaving, it was going to it was going to have an impact. But I did okay. have I did have a soft, soft landing. All right. and And, and at that time, there was also something crazy happening. There was this like explosion of entrepreneurs. And so now like we talk about it and entrepreneurs are everywhere and we've celebrity entrepreneurs. (laughs) But at that time it was just kind of percolating, you know, like Mm -hmm. Foundry was just kind of getting Mm -hmm. into doing their stuff and building the entrepreneur ecosystem. Like other people, like people were just starting, you know, like Pearl street didn't look the way it looks. Right. Like I remember we came and we felt like we couldn't find a decent meal not because we were super foodies or food snobs. But when we lived in LA, it was like, you know, for 70 bucks, you can get like this amazing meal. And that felt like it at that time, that was a lot of money, but that was what we do for a big, and we'd go out to a meal in in Boulder and it was like, eh, you know? And so like this, this explosion of, uh, restaurant tours hadn't happened yet, but all that was happening, right? And so I, I just, it was just lucky that the intersection of that, and I was looking around, I was like, wait a second, there's like these, all these people starting businesses and doing different things. Mm-hmm. And I felt, uh, I was just looking again to get in the middle of something, to open up doors, to meet friends. And I had met some people and I started uh, working at a company called Raindance, okay. which was an audio conferencing company in, in Colorado. Uh, the CEO was Paul Barbarian, who's now, the CEO of Spiro, another guy by the name of Todd Vernon, who has had multiple awesome exits over it, uh, Sovereign and, and and Legit, and, and most recently, uh, Victor Ops, he just exited, and, and this other guy named Bryce Ambrosunis, And so all this cool stuff was, I, I started working there, and I was answering what they called bells, you know, I was a uh, tech support for audio conferencing. I see. And it was this huge knock, and I, was the, I had the least impressive college degree, everyone there didn't care because everyone just wanted to be in Colorado. They had amazing benefits and it was just this crazy uh, launching off point. And from there I was like, oh, this is a really interesting business. I started working in wholesale and I spun out of there and I started a company that resold audio conferencing because I had seen that I had made these relationships uh, with uh, suppliers. I had seen that there really at the time were like three main Providers of audio conferencing, even like AT and T and Quest at the time, which became CenturyLink and all the and Verizon, they didn't have their own infrastructure. They were selling these services, but they didn't. They were procuring them from you know one of three big players. Um, also, there was this great opportunity. For small business, which was coming up and needing all these types of new technologies, uh, they never had access to them. And so I could basically go and I made arrangements with the suppliers to commit to certain, you know, I'm going to buy minutes from you, I'm going to repackage them and sell them out to a small business. Now, was was this company called
0: Lighthouse Conferencing? It is. Yeah. Okay. And and did you start that kind of on the side while you were still working a regular job or did you just go all in and quit your job to get that
1: rolling? I went all in and quit my job. Um, you know, sitting uh, a big part of, of why I did that even was I, I love to go back to Michigan in the summer. Uh, I still spend six to eight weeks there. And I was trying to think about how can I architect my life to support that dream? And so I, I didn't see. do it all at once. Um, but for me, entrepreneurship has really followed this idea that it's not the purpose, it's the tool, you know, and that is at a personal level, um, it's the tool for me to do the things that I want to do, but also at a macro level, right? It's the tool to do great things. It's a tool to change the world. Like, like being an entrepreneur isn't the purpose. It's like when we do it correctly, in my opinion, we're solving really cool problems. We're helping shape the world through entrepreneurship and it becomes this tool where we can affect change and do really Mm -hmm. great things. Mm -hmm. Whether that, you know, whether that's something like, you know, a great you know, affecting change, like in a device. Like I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say it has to be this thing that's like, you know, clean water uh, or, you know, or clean water. So, yeah. So,
0: so to. lighthouse conferencing. So did that, and it started making a good living for you pretty quick,
1: pretty quick. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was really, really fortunate. um, Because of my relationships, I had a low barrier to entry. I didn't have a lot of CapEx. It was just like, Hey, go out and sell and start to build a brand. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what my differentiator was. I just knew that I could put, if I could acquire customers, uh, the economics would work in my favor. And Let
0: me, let me take a pause just for a minute for the listeners. So there's a very, there's a common thread here as, as you've listened to Mark talk and and it ties to the word relationships. And I, it goes all the way back to having a relationship with the professor, with the professor or the counselor in college that, trusted you enough to say here's a list of names when you go out to la call these people contact these people and then another relationship that you had with your roommates your roommate to allow you to say i'm going to let you live with my mother while you go out there another relationship then another relationship that you built uh when you got you know with the producer that gave you the opportunity and then you get to boulder and again you build relationships and those contacts help you get lighthouse conference and going you know So often, especially with millennials, not to pick on millennials, but like you can't just, you can't just have a high IQ. You can't just work hard. Like if you don't manage relationships and networking properly, you're not going to move as fast. You're not going to be as successful. It's just so critical to manage relationships. And that's been a common thread out out of everything you've said so far. Cause you, I'm assuming you're right. You had, you had some connections and relationships and to get lighthouse conferencing going. You're just like, Hey,
1: Hey Bobby, I got, I got this, I got this idea and boom, you're going. 100% hundred percent that's such a such an interesting insight uh, I've never put you know kind of put those dots together so I appreciate that Steve yeah I mean th- th- for me that's how it's always been it's always been this idea of relationships um, yes, and going out and, and but I, and I want to make the point like they're all relationships that you've put out there that I've worked to build. It exactly. Wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't
0: exactly.
1: The, my, <laughs> my dad never called anyone and was like, Hey, hook mark up. Like I didn't have that, you know, like I didn't yeah. have, like I was always envious of the kids that um, their parents like paid for their internship or right? yeah, like, I didn't like have really that. gave them the, like the footing. It was just like, Hey, I'm going to figure it out as long as I can meet my bare minimum needs financially. And that was also really a great thing. Like I didn't have the luxury of not meeting my bare financial needs, which is this really great thing because it forces you to choose. It forces you to, you know, do different things and make a living and see how the world works. And there's some, uh, risk and vulnerability. You got to hold that job. So even if it sucks, if you're not loving the actual work, you're like, I got to stick this out until I find a better option. And I think that there's something super powerful in that because, Mm -hmm. um, had I had a, a, a cushion, I might, I might've been like, I don't like this, uh, because I don't like I don't like how I'm, how I'm being treated. I don't like long hours. I don't like doing the crap work. But that's also like looking back, that's what makes you have the ability to do great things and have a career. And you yep. do need to do those things. And I just recently spoke at the University of Michigan and someone, oh, asked, someone, and, and someone asked me and said, you know, what, what kind of advice do you have for me getting starting out? And, and, you know, and I could say something like, hey, don't take yourself so serious. Don't work so hard. Don't, don't chase just the money. Don't chase just the title all these things, which are probably true, except it's only true now that I've gone, I've done that myself and I've made those mistakes. (laughs) And I don't want to rob anyone of that experience because sometimes you have to do those things, you know, depending on where you are in your career to get to where you want to be, you know, and it's not this, Hey, don't do what I did or, or something like that. Like sometimes we do need to like, just be so head down and focused on our career and chasing the wrong things because That'll spin us into the right things. Now, mm, that being good said, point. good point. That being said, I don't want anyone to be super focused on the wrong things, but I also don't want to rob you of your growth and your experience because we all have our own story and we all have to get to where we want to go. And if it were all yep. easy, you know, wouldn't yeah, yeah, exactly. So you
0: uh, a Lighthouse Conferencing—you ran that for what ten years? And did you—is that still open, or did you
1: sell it, or close it, or what happened with that? 10 years. We just sold it uh, this past summer. You know, Ooh. I never thought, you know, my strategy was at the time there was a ton when I started it, there was a ton of consolidation going on in, in the space. And so I was like, Hey, I'm going to build this up. I'm going to get to critical mass. I'm probably going to go raise some money. I'm going to acquire a bunch of smaller players and then I'm going to sell it to one of those three big players. Okay. I, I had seen other people do that. There seemed to be a really great roadmap for that. And i didn't see. And we take it for granted now, but now like things like zoom or Google Hangouts, or, yep. you know, if you're an Amazon web service customer, they have a, a, a telecommunication platform, I think called chime. Like just didn't see that Skype. Right. We It's kind of known Skype, but man, that changed, that changed the industry. Changed and and everything. so like, like a good lesson in entrepreneurship was also, be okay running that business that you're getting into that you, even if the plan is to exit, uh, because I had this business that I thought had like a four year, three to four year. That was the business plan. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, Mm -hmm. I didn't love conferencing. Uh, I was doing, it was the tool, uh, not the purpose to, to, to use that. I knew the business. It allowed me to do some things and, uh, I was running that business. Should you, should you have exited after about four or
0: five years? And you, did you pass up a couple of opportunities to exit or no, no,
1: no. Okay, okay. Uh, I mean, I look back that, I mean, that business created a life for me. It, it, it did so many wonderful things. Great. It, That's you know, cool. it, it never, and, and I think this is an interesting lesson. Like, you know, it did it reach that, you know, that I exit for $10 million. No, I didn't. That was kind of the plan, Well, but it, but it, you know, but, What it did do is it provided a great life for uh, me and my family. It cash flowed amazing. I put a lot of money away. I had a small sort of double or a base hit exit, which is great. I I learned so much through entrepreneurship. And it was this lifeline that then uh, put me in contact with a a group that has been incredibly impactful for me called Entrepreneurs Organization, um, which you know, I'm not here to to promote the group, but what it, what it did is it put me in touch with the people that were like me, founders and other Got business you. owners. And, yep. and through that, you know, and through self-exploration about um, seven years ago, I was like, look, I have this conferencing business. I don't love it. And I want to do something, with, again, something with my life that feels more like me. And that's when I started Wild Story, uh, which is the business I'm doing now. But I, I didn't even you know, I was kind of, people were like, oh, you were in Hollywood. Can you help me with my story? I didn't know what that meant, but I was helping. Ah. I, was, I was doing some consulting. I was telling people, hey, you should do this, that. Um, And I actually started the business as a PR firm because that was the only way in my head I could see, hey, how do you tell stories for people? And I I learned uh, how to do PR and I and I realized I didn't like that. Like I just, it just wasn't like it just wasn't sitting well with me. It was traditional PR. There's nothing against PR. Uh, a lot of that was probably um, a fault of mine taking a lot of clients that didn't have PR worthy uh, things and trying to help them and and they were disappointed. And so I took a step back and 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 I continued to work with clients and work with clients. And I realized that the clients that, that I loved working with and where I had the most impact and the things I love to do, I was a brand strategist. You know, that's what I was doing. I was helping to build their brand and and tell their story through, uh, you know, different channels, whether it be culture, brand strategy, or content. Um, and, and so, really, that, got- is, that is that is interesting. So, you you weren't traditionally, like, you
0: weren't really a, a trained marketer, right? Uh, you, you weren't a marketing slash advertising professional, so to speak. But your writing skills, your curiosity, your, your love for the story, your people skills that allows you to develop these relationships all kind of ties together to, to help entrepreneurs figure out how to tell their story better and, and tie it to their brand. I, I see how all that fits together. It's so fascinating. When I, when I studied your profile, I thought, well, how did he end up? I don't understand how he got there, but you've tied it together nicely.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this, this uh, yeah, perspective of it. entrepreneurship and storytelling and, and, and it took me a while, you know, it wasn't, I don't want to sit here and say like, Oh, I totally figured it out. Like <laughs> I had a hard time like being categorized as a brander or a marketer because I was like, to your I, point, I was I like, was I've trying, never, yeah. that's what I was trying to do. Categorize you. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I interrupted well, you. Uh, no, I think categorization <laughs> is good. Um, it allows us to understand what others do, you know, and, and, and that was a part where my business struggled for a while because I was Mm. like, I'm a storyteller. I have to tell your story. Well, Mm. Mm. if I say that, that can mean like, if you ask 10 different people, what does telling the story in your business mean? You're gonna get 10 different answers. It's Mm. like, Hey, it's branding. It's marketing. It's, it's, it's my CEO speech. It's our culture internally. It's like when we do our earnings announcement, like, like you could just go on, like it can mean different things. And so getting clear and, um, you know, this great book called made to stick and, They talk about this idea of a schema, right? We have a schema in our heads that when I tell you, when I say horse, you all of a sudden have this image of, of a horse and it's probably an idealized image. You're probably not thinking, although there are 20,000 different variations of horse that you could be thinking of, well, same thing with the way that we put ourselves in buckets. Like no one wants to be put in a bucket, right? Like I was like, no, I'm special. I worked in Hollywood. I, I tell stories, but like that was confusing. Yeah. and the second that i put myself into a bucket and say hey i'm a i'm i'm a brander people are like yeah. all right i get that and we can start to have that conversation now how i approach this from a storytelling standpoint and and that's unique and 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 different um but you know. and wild and wild
0: story was created in 2013 as a you don't call it a advertising agency branding agency you don't call it that do you what, what how do you in one sentence
1: how do you how do you describe it we're a brand storytelling firm uh, that that helps you know turn your story into a, a, a brand story that uh, helps to amplify your business and connect with more customers and and ultimately drive profits. So okay, so right there, I just, I just want to take a pause. Everybody, everybody needs your help,
0: and when I say everybody. It's, it's really frustrating for me. Every, every time I visit with a new executive, let's say they're a client for Rider flex that we're going to meet because we're trying to sell them recruiting services, or it's an executive coming on the Rider flex podcast. Either way, I'm having to do homework on the company and the executive, right? Mm -hmm. I can't tell you 75% of the time I will click on the website and I'll go, okay, let me, all right, can I, what? But who? What are you doing here? Like, what? What? What's the story? What do you do? And it it is it does not go fast. Like, it, it's not quick. So often, I will look at a website or look at the social media, and I'll hang up the phone and I'll call my partner and I'll go, "I still don't know what these guys do," because <laughs> the story's not right. The story's not clear. Yeah. So my my point is, I think a lot of brands uh, could could use your help. I, I don't think people do a good enough job telling a clear, concise, short enough story to to keep people's attention long enough to really understand what they do. Anyway, that's my, that's my read on the situation. I'll let you. No, it's a hundred
1: percent. And it kind of goes back to that conversation we were just having about like understanding what category you fit into, who are you for, who are you not for, you know, like you want people when they come to your profile or your website to immediately say like, yep, you're for me or you're not for me. And your story forces people to choose. And that's like such a powerful um, idea you know, and and we do want people to not choose us instantly if they're not the right fit because that saves time, that yes. saves our no. energy. We don't have to you know waste time you know chasing down prospects that we know aren't going to be a good fit. And right. it also helps to you know build that referral business when people instantly know who you're for. You know, if I'm I'm like talking about hey, I need yoga clothes and all this kind of stuff, like someone's like inevitably going to be like, oh, you should go to Lululemon or Prana, right? Like we know, like no one's going to go, like you should go to Brooks Brothers. That, that doesn't happen. And it should be that simple, you know, it should, should be. be that that clean. Or, you know, we use the idea of, hey, we're at a cocktail party. And Steve says, hey, Mark, who are you for? And I'm like, well, it's really, you know, we work with, you know, kind of a really specific kind of client. We typically work with like outdoor lifestyle and tech companies that are at an interesting stage of growth. Typically they've had an event, um, and, and they're they're really trying to realign with who they are and who they're for. And when you that say might, they've had an event, just for the listeners, they've had a seed round or a Series A
0: round that that they have enough capital to actually hire firms
1: like Wild Story to help them. Basically, is that what you mean? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. first first uh, round of capital, or but it could be a startup too. I mean, that was just an example, um, yep. you know, of something that you know I might say, or I could say, hey, like, look, you know, we we work with with startups getting off, and they just. They they need to really get aligned on who they are, and we have we have an offering for them, and you know Great. because for us brand you know it all begins with the words you use, and that and that's something you know your brand and your your brand story isn't your logo, it's not your colors, it's not your website, that, that that's all part of it, but it really you know starts with you know answering some fundamental questions like you know why are we here, who are we for. Um, you know, what's our vision? What's our backstory? I mean, those things all go into telling your story Mm -hmm. and there are all these signals that we're, you know, we're telling different people through different, you know, mediums, whether it be a podcast, whether it be social, whether it be our website, whether it be the client onboarding experience, all those things. And why that's Mm -hmm. so important is as human beings, we are just biologically designed to say no you know That's true. And, and it's it, it's a, it's a defense mechanism <laughs> it's a defense I, it is yep it's a you know and we're, you yep. know and so um we're, we 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 want to say no and you know have you ever had the experience like steve like like maybe you and i you know cuz i do this all the time i'm I, I always go meet for coffee like someone's like hey let's go to ozo right and you and you sit down and the bolder thing to do and you have coffee and you meet someone and then i go back home and my wife says like hey how was that meeting with steve and i was like eh. And she's like, she's like, well, well I do what it all was- the time. Yeah. And she's like, well, what was wrong with him? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Just, I can't articulate it right. Well, that's just your yes. spidey senses where there was incongruency in, in, in the story that we were receiving. So that, that's what we're, you know, so when you think about that from your, your branding, your marketing and, 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 and how people are perceiving you and they start to get that like kind of queasy mm-hmm. tummy those, you know, and they're like, eh. They bounce <laughs> and they don't buy, you know, and that that right there is what you want to avoid because even best case scenario, when you send all the the right signals, you know, they still want to say no, and, and you still need to convince them. So you you don't want to you don't want to like have people you know thinking that you're not for them.
0: Yeah, uh, so it's nice. so so your service not only helps them tell the story for their brand, but helps them tell their own story when they're meeting with, with, with prospects. Right. I mean, you can probably help them in yeah. both ways. You're, you're so right. I, 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 my partner and I, Scott meet with prospects and potential clients, you know, all the time. Right. And you're right. You, usually to get a contract signed, you're, you're meeting them for, for coffee, your happy hour, or dinner, or whatever. I cannot tell you, Mark, how often more than 50% of the time we'll be driving back home, separate vehicles. Scott will call me or I'll call him, call him and go, God, you know, why uh, so many, you know why they get that? Eh, that like, Hey, eh, it was okay. You know why people get that feeling? I think personally, they get that feeling because everybody's everybody's lying. Everybody's faking stuff. Everybody's like making crap up. Like, just be real. Just be authentic. You don't have to try to pretend like you're somebody or not. Don't 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 feed me full of BS. I don't I don't need all that. Just 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 keep it real, bro. And we'll be just fine. That's where I get turned off when people are telling their stories when they start feeding me full of crap. Uh, anyway, sorry.
1: I went off on a no, tangent. totally. I, I call that the BS meter, right? And um, like you think about uh, back when you know. You get on the airplane, and on the back of the screen, the CEO from United's telling you, "Come fly the friendly skies." And you know, and, and in parallel, you have someone getting dragged off a plane. You're like, "This is be-, like, what do you mean, right? Yeah, what do you mean? This doesn't line up." And that's like a, a real clear example. But it happens all the time where we call BS either directly or just intuitively right. on a brand who's not living up to the promise. And mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, there's never been a time like today, where we are so clued in and tuned in and informed on what brands are doing. I don't know if you've been following what's happening uh, with backcountry.com by any chance. Have you seen that at uh -uh. all? No, uh no. So backcountry.com is a retailer uh, that has grown to be quite a large uh, online retailer. I think they're doing like around $500 million is what I saw in revenue. Um, And they Uh, There was an article that came out in the Colorado Sun not more than two weeks ago, maybe 10 days ago, that was an expose about that they were aggressively trying to uh, defend uh, the name backcountry and take that as a trademark and putting as a result, putting a lot of small businesses out of business through legal means because they would be like backcountry coffee or backcountry jeans or whatever. I see. The point they, of that story can't, they is can't, they can't do that. They, they, they can't do that. Can they? I mean, there's probably so many businesses with back country in the title. Well, they had been. And this, uh, in creating and putting, you know, businesses out of business. And when this article came out because of the, where we are in a digital sharing kind of world, right? Oh man. The, yeah. The community rallied someone mm-hmm. here in Colorado by the name of John Miller started a Facebook group. I think the thing's up within a week to 20,000 people. People are boycotting, um, wow. the company because the, and, and what I've ascertained is through all the comments is just, it's not so much that, yeah, they don't like the legal means and the bullying and stuff, but they feel like they, they were duped because they feel mm. like the back country and what it once stood for mm. from the original owners before it went to this private equity group um, stood for the back country and outdoors and all these values that we hold so dear. And now they find out, no, that this is just a company that's, you know, funded on profit and greed and not honoring the values of what we call the back country. And, and it's been this movement. And so that's just a small example of like how quickly your fortunes can change in this right, world. Right, right, right. If you're right. not being authentic and true to your mission and who you are and your community, right? Like their customer are all these outdoor people and they were not clear on um, the values of their customer. They were more concerned about the values of themselves and protecting a trademark and it's gotten them in real trouble. Since then the CEOs come out and said, Hey, like we're dropping lawsuits, but we don't know where this is all going to land. But those people to my surprise are so unforgiving. (laughs) They're like, like once you burn that trust, like I'm, I'm very much a second chance person. I would give them a second chance. Uh, But the community by and large is speaking and they, Mm. and they will not until there's like major reparations and you know, that that's probably not going to happen. And by the by, the
0: way, uh, you know, speaking of stories like that, is your story real? Is your story authentic? If you're an executive for a company and you're listening to this podcast, I would challenge you or encourage you next time you go to the office or next time you're on the company webpage, just pull up the mission statement and values and just ask yourself, like, wow, is that really what we're doing?
1: Is that really who we are? <laughs> yeah. And you know, the, it's a great point, Steve. I mean, the, the last part in our, our process is like live the brand, right? Live so it, can, live it. You, you can design all the stuff. You can talk about it. And that's actually the fun stuff. That's the easy stuff. Cause we get in a room and we do all this cool stuff. Yeah, and, right. Right. And then, you, and then you get a new visual identity. So you get a cool, like yeah. Patagonia shirt with the logo. Right. And and you get <laughs> stickers and, and like a website. That's all really, really fun and exciting. But the, the stuff that, that that really makes that work and, and, and have effect and drive your business is you need to live that brand Boy, I- day in and day out. And, and you may even like fall off the wagon, right? Like think about your own core values when you do something that's not in alignment. That's not to say that you're always perfect, mm-hmm. but that you can always use your values and your brand and your mission and your vision to Realign and, and get back um, going in the right way, and point your compass in the right. What's that? What's
0: that like for you? And I know we're I know we're stretching our time here. A few more questions. What? What? Do you have a few more minutes? Just a few more minutes, Mark. I know we're I almost out of time. Yes. Um, what's that like for you to go into the CEO's office, a client of yours? You know that you need to have this heart to heart with the CEO and tell them that hey. Hey man, uh, you're not living your own story. Like you're not living your own mission and values. Like you're calling them on it. Right. So to speak. But at the same time, they're a client and they're paying you. So you don't want to piss them
1: off. Right. (laughs) That's a, that's a delicate dance, isn't it? Yeah. Well, fortunately, you know, usually they bring me in because they feel like they have some sort of problem and they, they, they might not know how to articulate it. They might be like, Hey, we're not being perceived correctly. Uh, you know, people think we do something different. Our sales just aren't uh, having, you know, going, trending in the right direction internally. Our culture's messed. Like, there's a whole bunch of different things that they, the problem that they they think they have, and and that and that, and that they do have. Uh, but you know, when I come back and, and and do you know an assessment, or I'm looking at things, you know, it, it usually rings true. I have had times where people are like, "No, we're fine." And then there's, you know, at that point, there's probably nothing for us to talk about. Like, yeah. Right. You, know, it's, you, you need to understand that you have, you have a problem uh, and, and that you're willing to work at it. And I, I'm very um, honest about what it will do and what it won't do. Um, right. and, and that it is a process, you know, it's like, you know, if you think that you just need a logo, then please don't hire me. Right, uh, you know, right. you should probably go to 99designs and get a logo and, and, and be very happy. And that's a really good use of your funds. Right. But if you really want to affect change, if you want to build a brand uh, that lasts, I mean, there there's some or, brands that don't even really need branding, you know, or if, they, or, if they, or if they want to pivot, right. If they want to pivot and they need to adjust their story, they can call you hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Because yeah. we need to, we need to realign and, and that all starts, you know, with, you know, what's that pivot trying to accomplish and, and things like that. <laughs>
0: So it's wildstory.com. Is that uh, the best way to go about making contact or do you want to give another uh, uh, email or, or phone number for the listeners
1: on this yes, show? Steve, that, that, that's a great uh, way to contact me. But also uh, if you want to contact me directly by email, it's Mark, M-A-R-C at wildstory.com. And just, you know, make note that you you heard me on the Rider Flex podcast. Uh, That'd and, be great. You know, yeah, that way I'll, I'll know and I'll know what we talked about and how you're approaching the conversation and coming to me and, uh, certainly would like to put out there that you know normally uh we' certainly be, be charged for consults and things like that, but for anyone on the Rider Flex, uh podcast that would like to have like a fifteen minute consult and 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 reach out and i 'm happy to do that via the phone and so go ahead and reach out to me at, at no no charge and we 'll just see uh where I might be able to help you uh Great. not a, not, a, not a sales pitch but literally a consultation if you have a, a an issue you 're dealing with i 'd be more than happy to uh to do that
0: that 's awesome one thing i just last point I want to make here. You, you and going back to uh, you know a little bit earlier in the podcast, you are talking about your first company, Lighthouse Conferencing. I just want to say this for the listeners: I think this is pretty powerful stuff. You know, you see in the news or in the media, you're like, "Oh, these guys started the business and they had a they had a fantastic exit and they sold it for two hundred million dollars and now they're rich and you know life is great." First of all, that's a very tiny percentage of the population that that actually happens to. That's number one. And number two, like, to be happy, it doesn't have to go down that way. I mean, you can have, you know, I don't know, an auto repair shop, right? That maybe maybe have an auto repair shop that does $500,000 a year and you run it and you're the owner and you take home 150 and you get to go on vacation, whatever you want. And you get to live the life you want and you get to live in Boulder, Colorado, because that's where you want to live. And life is great. Like you can be an entrepreneur and a business owner and, and live where you want to live and, and do the things you want to do personally and be very happy. It does not have to end up in in this fairy tale BS, oh, I sold it for five hundred million and I'm rich. It doesn't have to be that way, right? To to live a happy life, and I, I just think that's really important for for people that want to own a business to hear. Um, not, not everybody's going to build it and sell it and cash out. In fact, ninety five percent of them won't do that, and so it's important to know you can be happy in, in other ways as well.
1: Hundred percent, and you know, I, I was caught up in that that kind of story that narrative as well that, Hey, I had to build this up. I had to have an exit. You know, I I had a real unhealthy relationship with my business for a while. I mean, I I thought it was a bad business. I was like, why am I not growing it to a point I can exit? Like, you know, all this kind of conversation at one point, I'm not really sure what triggered it. I had this like, I was like, like, this business is like the giving tree, you know, that book, right, by Shaw. Right. like, like yeah. all I do is take from it and, and, and I treat it so poorly. Like I, <laughs> I, I cut off its limbs and I take cash and I, and I go on vacations and I uh, support my family with it. And I, I have this life that I've always dreamed of yet. I'm treating this, this business poorly. And much to your point, it was a great business. It was an amazing business. And, um, I think everyone else should be so lucky to have a business like that.
0: Mark, you've been awesome. I'd love to keep you on for longer. I know we didn't even get through all the questions, but uh, just some really inspirational stuff. Thank you so much for sharing and for being on the WriterFlix podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, just remember, folks, if you need adjustments on telling your story for the brand or personally or whatever, wildstory.com, and Mark Gutman can help you and he can help your business. Mark, thank you, sir. I appreciate it.
1: Steve, thank you. It was such a pleasure. I, I agree. I wish we could go longer uh, and maybe we'll do part two. Absolutely. Take care, my friend. Thank you.
0: The Rudderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.